hear the party and I have arrived. I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, being able to get your voice that low is impressive. He's just a, such a just a, a smooth guy, that Johnny Cash, you know? Yeah. Have you seen the there's been a lot of TikToks about lately that his wife was black? I didn't his see first any- wife? Huh. Yeah, so there's been like a lot of so he's he was always kind of like you know pretty for at least for a guy, a white guy of that era like pretty progressive on racial issues. Okay. And it's like fairly well known now, but it was it wasn't like as evident then that his wife, his first wife was like black and mixed race. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And people were sharing pictures of her, and, and everyone's like, "How did I not know this?" I actually That's so weird. Name, so I'm looking at I'm looking up because uh, I looked it up Vivian. as you we were talking about it. Yeah, apparently they they had to get some DNA test to say that she was not, so people would leave them alone. That's pretty interesting. Really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I shouldn't be perpetuating lies then. I guess. No, no. I mean, it's it's it could still be the case, but you know, there there's some. You know, as 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 it's called passing. You know, there are some people who are passing, right, uh, for one race or another, and it's just weird that it would be such a thing. You know, well, as you said, it was it was it was back then. It was a different time, mm-hmm. but for him being so progressive, you know, you think he'd just be like, "Yeah, I own it. She is whatever." And I mean, people of Sicilian background, they do, they do kind of look like they could be African-American in a lot of cases. Um, You're welcome. That's why I look African-American. Is that, is that a fact? Is that really? Is <laughs> yeah, that- no, cut that out. Cut that out. Cut that out. Cut that out. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> I didn't know you were part of the team. Um, <laughs> there's a wrestler named Taz. And he is a very short, very angry, very dark man. Um, and for a long time, growing up, I thought he was black because he's he's uh, Sicilian, and he's just got like such a dark olive skin tone, and he carries oh, himself wow. in such a way. Like really, he he can he's passing. That's that's exactly what I'm talking about. And I wasn't alone. A lot of other wrestling fans thought he was black too. So when it came out, like, yeah. no, he's he's Sicilian. There's no African American or no no African descent in him whatsoever. People were surprised, and you know, it's I guess you just move on, whatever. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So like, I'm literally like reading that um, the KKK burned crosses on their lawn. And both Vivian and Johnny Cash received hate mail and death threats. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The KKK was like after them. Who was in that movie? Passing. There was a movie called Passing that came out a couple years ago. I never saw it. Passing. But it was about that. It was about that very uh, phenomenon, which is, you know, black women who pass (laughs) as another race. And I think it starred. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it had Ruth Nega was in it. Um, Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That sounds yeah. interesting. I've never heard of this movie. And especially with photography being the way it was back then with the black and white photos, it was very mm-hmm. difficult to tell. You know, there's pictures of my family from back in that era. Yeah. 
And it's like, oh, you just look like a white woman in this picture, Grandma. What's going on you know, here? I don't know what this is. This film was this filmed in black and white. Passing because yes, I think so. Because I feel like that is something they really should do for a film like that. But it's hard to market. Oh, it looks like a trailer. It is. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. It's a Netflix movie, so I have no excuse not to watch this now. So, all right, yeah. that's my homework for this evening, folks. And by the way, welcome, everyone, to Lex and Matt's Excellent Adventure. Good yeah. evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is 7.30 in the p.m. We're going to go over to the weather for one moment before we get to your news this evening. Take it away, Susan. You know, who is who's? I don't know. I thought we had a it's weather person. Anyway. Okay. It's Friday night. We never record on Friday nights. I don't know if we've ever recorded on a Friday night, but I, I felt like uh, shit this week. So. Uh, well, no, I understand. You know, when we recorded on Friday, well, at least it was a, a Friday type of vibe, I believe, was mm-hmm. for uh, the Nerdfest when it was remote. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> when we did our... Man, that was some that was some technical know-how that I had back then that I no longer possess. I don't know how I made that work with three cameras and three microphones for an hour-long special. It was a lot of fun, though. Yeah, you did a good job because I did not. I don't know any of the technical stuff on this show. I plug in my microphone and I show up and I perform. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, that's the dream. I mean, really, you know, we, we do, we are actively searching for a producer who is willing to do this for a nominal fee. And by a nominal fee, I I mean uh, a bag of Twizzlers and, you know, maybe some loose change from the uh, junk drawer. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That's about how much we have to offer. So pretty much I will, I will give a bounty. I will offer the entirety as it stands now, of our Patreon, if someone wants to produce and release this show in a timely fashion, and all the involvement it takes from Lex and I is just to plug in microphones and send you the audio. That's it. Yeah. Now, you don't know how I'd much be that is because that. we don't we don't make that information public to a lot like no. like a lot of folks do. Um, no. Because you know we're, we're private people, but it's a game of you know a suitcase on deal or no deal. There you go. What are you gonna get? Is it one penny? Is it a million dollars? It's not a million dollars. Don't don't think it's a million. It is. It is not. Yeah. Don't. You're not going to make a livelihood off of this. But it could be some nice pocket change to have some fun yeah. on the weekend. You know. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, but would they? But would the person be consistent if we did not yeah. pay them all the time? That's a risk. That's a risk. No, they're going to get. The they're going to get steady pay at, by by the Patreon, and the incentive is is that they want to retain those same Patreon members to continue to get <laughs> make the Patreon grow so that they exactly. can keep making money off of the Patreon. There are on our social media too. Yeah. And this is only a temporary agreement, of course. You know, once once we become more established in the podcast world, we can pay someone a regular fee and, you know, make it a real actual uh, career for someone as well as ourselves. That would be the ideal outcome of that. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, you get in yeah. with us. You're going up to the top, baby. On the ground floor. We need a Steven. You know, that's what it is. We need a Steven. Yeah, I think he left the, the network. Did he? Ooh, recently. God. I don't think it was like a bad thing. I think he just wanted to do different stuff. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. But he's always going to be Steven. 
Steven. <laughs> I haven't listened right. to that show in forever. And I know a lot of people have turned on them, but I have such fond memories. Yes, yes, yes. I can't imagine why people will turn on them, but, you know, I mean, they haven't. I think that it's, from what I've gathered, some of it is, you know, them not doing enough research, it not oh. being as, as like, you know, them not doing research themselves. Some of it being like, you know, criticism of like, you know, white women discussing certain issues and, and um, crimes. Okay. Um, and then I also think just in general, people are questioning the true crime genre and that surge that it had. I feel like it's dying down a bit. Yeah, that I can see. Yeah. I can see people moving on from that. <laughs> but they're one of the they they were one of the biggest ones, right? So of course they're going to take that hit. Of course. Yeah. But I, I'm glad it's not like, oh, there's some big controversy. They did something that, you know, affected someone else negatively. I don't, I don't think it's one specific thing. Okay. I think it's just like um, you know, a lot of little things. I don't know. Um, at least they're not abusers. So Right. And that's where we're going to leave that topic. You know, all mm-hmm. I will say about the subject, because I don't know why or what's going on with the ladies of, um, you know, uh, my favorite murder. You know, I appreciate the positive effect they've had on podcasting, how they've inspired I many, agree. you know, pick up the hobby and really get into something substantial outside of the um, traditional, hey, let's sit in front of the microphone and BS for a couple hours format. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of negativity comes from that, right? So, mm-hmm. um, of course, you know, we we think about the intentions of certain things and certain people. And I appreciate the fact that they come out of the gate. They try to be ethical in how they handle the research that they do and the way that they treat the parties involved. Yeah. Uh, they try to put some positivity out there with the fucking hoorays they do. Yeah. And the people that have, have taken that example and attempted to take up the mantle uh, and do something not only like that, but better, that I appreciate. I, I appreciate the inspiration that they provided to the podcast community. Yeah. And I think I think you can still be like a morally good person and be into true crime stuff, but you just have to, you know, proceed with with the like the caution of respect. Respecting that these were people that they have families and friends who many times are still living and are still here and deserve, you know, respect. And that the person who, you know, lost their life or even almost lost their life in those situations where it's like, you know, people got away and they survived it. That's, that's true. And you know. You were saying it's been some time since they got started. And if you think about how far they've come, how far, you know, oh, society yeah. been- has come since they got started. Um, you know, because they're not the first type of format to do something like they've done. They're only, you know, one of the most popular examples, the most recent. You go back, you think about Rescue 911. You think about America's Most Wanted. You think about uh, Unsolved Mysteries, you know, that sort of thing. Um, just True TV in general, how they have those shows where people are, you know, trying to solve cold cases. Cold cases. I mean, <laughs> the show right there. Holy shit. Apparently, you know? they're the like just what comes up is like it says podcast salary 15 million dollars and that they've been around since 2016 
Now you gotta you gotta take that with a grain of salt too, because you know a lot of celebrities. It's like net worth, yeah. Yeah, you know a lot of celebrities they'll they'll talk about the know your worth or net worth websites mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and they'll be like, man, I sure wish I had that much money, and I haven't ever seen that much money at one time in my life, so I don't know what this mm-hmm. website's talking about. So, yeah, uh, I was watching one of those roundtables that they that they put on YouTube, uh, the Hollywood Reporter. Um, mm-hmm. You know the actors' roundtables and stuff like that. There was one that had comedians, and one of them was Jim Carrey. And famously, he had a salary demand during the height of his career for two million dollars a picture, and he debunked that on that show. He was like, you know, there was a lot of discussion about how much money I was making, how much I was asking for. Let me tell you, a lot of that was just straight up bullshit. I'm like, wow, because <laughs> you know that was pretty much just like a known factor. You want Jim Carrey, you got to pay him two mil. <laughs> And apparently that wasn't the case. So. Hmm. Yeah, I do think it's, it's inflated. I, I mean, listen, it, either way, it is a lot more money than we have ever seen. You know, a lot of like the average person meaning has ever seen. Yeah. But I also think like when they're discussing, you know, pay, fair pay and everything like that, there are so many people that take a bite out of, the earnings, you know, it's not like it is a different type of job. It's not like our job where, you know, we're getting taxes taken out. So you have your federal and your state and then your, um, you know, your health insurance comes out of that or whatever. Like they have that, they have federal, they have state tax, and then they have, this is my manager. This is my publicist. Right. This, right. you know, they have all of these other people that take a cut from their stuff. Right. And like, you you have to, you have to factor that in. That's very true. You know, a lot of that was being discussed during this, you know, recent uh, bout of strikes that we've got news on that, by the way. Um, You know, a lot of discussion was had about, you know, all these amazing royalty checks that these writers and actors are getting. But yeah, they still have to pay their representation, the people that negotiated these contracts, you know, so there's still a lot. Going and out when the door it comes that- to, yeah, and listen, if you get if you get lucky, and you're one of those top percent people, or maybe even not a top percent people, maybe you're a middle of the road person. Mm-hmm. A let's. I'm trying to think who's a good example of middle of the road person. A, a Tom Welling. Tom Welling is not a top echelon, you know, actor. He's sure. not like an A lister, but he may he more than likely made enough money on Smallville. To if he's smart to last him for the rest of his life, you know. I hope so. I hope so. But the fact that he's doing the convention circuit says otherwise, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got two kids. As soon as you start <laughs> yeah. adding kids into your life, <laughs> when you add kids, that in the money's mix. gonna dwindle real fucking quick. <laughs> that money drastically goes down. So you only have a thirty-three yeah. and third percent chance of actually being successful. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that's all to say. I don't even know how to fucking sum that up. We just went all kind of different directions. I don't know. We're very tangenty. We are. It's Friday night. You know, it's been a long week at work. You got you know shot up, and I you know shouldn't you know just leave that hanging there. You got the the boosters. So yeah, I got both boosters at once. Don't do that. Get them, but get them separately. That's right. I did the same thing last year and I was fine. I did it this year and I was not fine. 
Now I haven't so. had a chance to get mine yet, but I remember last year I went through, I went through basically like a, a couple days off because I was feeling so rotten. Mm-hmm. Um, I went you know, through it, but I didn't feel good. Uh, good news, bad news. A lot of people apparently are getting their boosters and their flu shot this year because everyone wants to be around family. Everybody's being extra cautious. I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of folks seem to be. And I say this because the basic facets of the job at your local pharmacy are being taxed to the extreme right Mm -hmm. now because these people are trying to organize getting these shots to the public. So if you're wondering why your pharmacist and everybody is taking a little bit longer getting you your, uh, your prescriptions, or maybe they weren't mailed to you in a timely fashion like they used to be, that's why. So try to be a little bit more patient folks, but that's literally what's going on. Everyone, a lot of folks are rushing to get these shots right now. Yeah. It took us like an hour we were at Walgreens and it took us a good hour waiting and everything. Once we got the shots, it was quick, obviously, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we waited around for a while. Well, I'm I'm glad that a lot of folks are doing that because that means that these uh, fear mongering tactics and these incredibly outspoken individuals that are trying to say, "Oh yeah, it's all hooey," and yeah, that's still not working. So you know, keep no. up the good fight, everybody. Let's let's get through this together as Americans, as human citizens, as just ethical empathetic people yeah and and like the numbers are worse right now so like that we are going on a trip next week so we decided like let's get it beforehand let's prepare for that i'm nervous about flying but you know yeah smart thinking um yeah my brother's going on a trip too actually he's going overseas so oh shit where's he going he's going to the uk he's very excited that sounds fun yeah, first time over there. I'm jealous, man. I wanted to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to go too. Yeah, he's going. Um, he's accompanying my aunt to an art exhibit that she's being featured in. So, oh my god, that's awesome. Yeah, I love yeah. her art. Yeah, me too. Me too. And one of the things they're going to do on the trip, which I'm like, she just casually threw out there too. She goes, "Oh yeah, you know, one of the people I knew uh, from college. Well, she." apparently married the uh, conductor of the London Philharmonic. Oh my God. Yeah. That's awesome. His name's like rattle or something like that. It's crazy. I'm like, wow, it's nuts. Just out of the blue like that. So yeah, sure. Go ahead. Have your fun. Uh (laughs) Has your, has your aunt, like, has she had work featured a lot in is, or is this like, you know, and I, and I say this as a person who like, you know, wants to be an, you know, wants to continue making art again, but like, it's hard Mm. sometimes. And, you know, she's older. So like, is this, is she kind of like finding it now? Like after years of working at it or has she always been, you know, pretty successful at it? Well, uh, varying degrees of success. I mean, her work's been featured all over the country. Um, You know, she's always used different types of mediums and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, So for those that aren't aware um, my aunt's name is Phoebe Tree. Uh, you can definitely look it up and you'll find her artwork right away. It is incredibly striking and unique. And what's great about it is that she goes through phases. She goes through eras with her artwork where she takes different mediums and uses them. Um, around the time that Dee and I got married, she, she was uh, in this phase where she was taking found objects and she was repurposing them. So at one point, like she found a lot of the action figures that Mike and I had growing up 
mm-hmm. and she like deconstructed them and turned them into like this very intricate puzzle work of different art and stuff and then she would paint them all one color it was a red era i think and it, it just <laughs> everything looks so incredible but it's weird to me because looking at it i'm like isn't that the head from my Superman action figure? <laughs> I swear I recognize that. <laughs> is she on your mom's side or um, Oh, she's my your dad's, dad's sister. Side? Yeah. Dad's sister. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. She's the she's the uh the eldest kid out of five on that on that side. So she's always been creative in as much as she was always trying to find stuff for my dad and his sisters to do. Um they used to have like roller derbies in the basement growing up on the mm-hmm. south side of Chicago. And uh, they used to get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they were trailblazers too. They were the first black kids at the school that they went to. And, uh, you know, it's still weird to think about how people of the generation before me are the first black people to do things <laughs> in like, you mm-hmm. know, a whole segregation country. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it reminds yeah. you that it's not that far back, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So I fully support this trip because, you know, Mike's an artist too. Mike does amazing mm-hmm. art. He did the artwork that I shared uh, recently in the Discord for um, yeah. Peter's Porch Farms, the little, you know, uh, fake farm, fake yep. uh, branding that I have for like uh, the hot sauce that I'm passing out this year. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be great for him to be exposed to, to all this different type of art. The guy that yeah, did that's the, a uh, wonderful experience. Absolutely, Jeff Darrow. He's an artist uh, that worked on the Matrix movies with the Wachowskis. He's also from Chicago. Um, he really didn't come into his own until he started going around the world and just seeing different artists and how they, you know, drew their inspiration and that sort hmm. of thing. Uh, and it wasn't until he he met Mobius, uh, one of the most prolific artists that worked for Marvel, he worked on Silver Surfer, that he really developed his own style. And it's like a hyper detailed, super like just crunchy looking art style. It is just so invocative. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he did all the storyboards for the Matrix movies. They tried to get him to do a poster for the John Wick sequel. I think it was like the third one, but it was way too detailed for them to reproduce so it never got released uh that's really funny yeah totally so somebody finally bought it an auction and it's online everywhere but yeah man he just really came into his own so i'm excited to see what happens with my brother's art when he comes back and he gets that inspiration from this trip yeah it's always good to kind of look outside of your uh your your window and see what else is going on in the world so yeah and your brother's my age right yeah. Roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's like, he's, and I try to remind myself of this too. Like in, in the larger sense, we're still so young, yeah. you know, we're not 20 years old anymore or anything, but like, we're, you know, we're still as, as like full people and artists and everything like that. Like there's still so much to learn and explore and try and, you know. Yeah. And I mean, that's true for, for any age. It's never too it, late to that's try That's very something. true. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, you can really get down on yourself when you see like someone like substantially younger than you getting so much success so early on in life. But you got to remember, that's just a stop on their journey, too. I mean, sometimes it can be a curse to be so successful so early because you've peaked. I think about, um, you know, some of these uh, stars and, 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 uh, you know, there's people who've gotten like big awards 
so early in their career and how it's almost poison for them. Because, you know, with those awards, of course, that uh, commands a higher cost, you know, your, your management is going to try to get a higher, a higher fee for you when you mm-hmm. perform. Um, well, and a lot that- of people don't want to pay it. So you just find yourself out of work. Yeah. And there's that whole like curse of the best supporting actress thing. Mm. <laughs> where a lot of women who win best supporting actress are younger yeah. and they typically have like a stall or end of their career after it. Oh, and man. I think that's because I like, I think it's because like you just, it's a lot of exposure really early and then it's kind of like, you know, sexism, of like, oh, well, you're you're over 25 now, so we're done with you, you know? Um, I think shit like that messes with it, too. But, yeah, it's getting getting that success in the young, like you said, it can also hurt you. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis better be careful. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all yeah. downhill. It's all downhill from here. For sure. <laughs> she knows it. She knows it. <laughs> Days are numbered. Oh, man. So... You know, I often think about like, I don't know why. Well, of course, it's this time of year. But I think about how unnecessarily complicated the Halloween franchise is. Yes. Halloween H2O is a celebration of 20 years of Halloween, but it's not canon to the overall story they're telling now. How does that? What, it wasn't Halloween H2O just like a direct sequel and then that's it? Or was it a direct sequel to the second one? I don't know. I don't I'm looking know. it up. Um, I'm looking it up. Halloween as a franchise is like a branching multiverse of storylines. I hope they never try to like scratch that itch and we get like across the Halloween verse or something like that with like different versions of Jamie Lee Curtis. Sometimes it's her brother. Sometimes it's just some guy, you know, Michael it should, back. it should have been like the first one. And then Halloween H2O, like Halloween H2O ended really well. Did it. And like, yeah. Have you seen Halloween H2O? I don't remember. I've seen so many of those motherfuckers. I don't remember. <laughs> Okay, so if you <laughs> he is her brother. Okay. In in, in the canon of Halloween show. It is a direct sequel. I just verified. I thought it was, but it was 100 percent It's a direct sequel, Halloween 2. Okay. So the only John Carpenter movies. And remember, John Carpenter didn't want to make sequels that were Michael Myers. So he did yeah. Halloween 2 as kind of like the ending. So they come <laughs> back 20 years later, Halloween H2O, and I really wish they would have just stopped here. Because it's Laurie Strode dealing with like post-traumatic stress disorder and all the stuff that they tried to rehash in the new sequels. And I don't understand why they bothered to do that. And the movie literally ends. I mean, do you like, does anyone care about spoilers at this point? This movie is. Yeah. It's, it's well past. Yeah. We're past the Laurie, Laurie chops Michael Myers head off. Like with an ax. It's it. That's it. It's done. She fucking wins. She kills him. Okay. Now watch this juxtaposition. It's badass. Check this out. I wish they would do something like this with the Saw franchise. Right? 
I don't know how many of those you've seen or if you've seen any past, like the first one, because a lot of mm-hmm. people just were like, all right, that's enough. Um, but yeah, like, all right, again, spoilers for like, what, a 15, 16 year old movie. Right. Jigsaw died, right? Yeah. Dude's gone. He like died in the third movie or something like that. So you're thinking, okay, this must be it. The main villain has right. died. It wasn't in a big, gory, ambiguous way. No, he died of natural causes. But then they went on somehow. <laughs> somehow Palpatine. Aren't they was resurrecting him in the new movie? No, it's still a it's still a prequel. Like they went back before he passed away. Oh, okay, gotcha. So that's their MacGuffin. They keep either finding new tapes or new, like, you know, traps by him who, you know, he left. Okay. So I think one of them, it was like, here's some traps that he'd set up before he died. And then they figured all that shit out. The the next one after that, here's someone who was inspired by him, who also wanted to do traps, got that squared away done. Right. But then after that, they're like, oh shit, we got all this money. We need to do another one. So it was prequel time, and they started doing prequels. Yeah. Mm. And here we are. Then they started doing like spinoffs, like Jigsaw and Spiral. They got nasty, and I didn't like that. Like the first <laughs> one was great. Like the first one was really fucking good, and then I was done. You know. Yeah, I mean the first one was good because it was so surprising. It was like, all right, yeah, this is this is supposed to make you uncomfortable by just the gore and how hopeless the situation seems you know just like toy story yeah and it's (laughs) and and it's pushing you know that it's asking those questions about humans and their limits and what they'll do to survive and there you know it was a really and in like you know how are you paying for your sins and all that shit it's just it was a really interesting movie that i think if they did make a sequel maybe they should have never made a sequel but if they like if they did it properly it would have explored that aspect of it more and not just gotten gorier and bigger and like crazier you know yeah they keep on trying to outdo themselves and eventually it's just like mortal Kombat. like how many more fatalities can you come up with yeah apparently 10 more because there's like they're on 12 now or 11 or something but as we approach spooky season i do i do think if you're going to watch the Halloween movies, which you should because they're the best, you should watch one. And then you can, if you want to watch any of the sequels, and when I say one, I mean the fucking original. And if you mm-hmm. want to watch any of the sequels, you can do the Trinity of one, two, and Halloween H2O, and you're good. You're mm-hmm. good. Like everything else can be ignored. That, in my mind, is the trilogy. That, that's a good suggestion. That's a good suggestion. Do you have Fucking. movies you watch every year for Halloween? Um, not really. I mean, I know that well. Whether I'm involved or not in this household, as as above, so below <laughs> is played at some point. Uh, oh, great movie! Whether or not I'm in the room, that's debatable. But <laughs> it gets played in this home. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say over the garden wall, but that's not a spooky thing. That's just no, a fall that's, thing. That's a fall thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I typically watch Scream and Halloween. Those are those are two like my two favorites, Um, like my my absolute favorite horror films. Um, And then 
uh, in the past ones that I've constantly like gone back to the well, uh, the original nightmare on Elm street, the exorcist. Um, I'm trying to think of more modern ones, you know? Yeah. I've seen a lot. No, I'm like the ring. I'm weird in as much as like, I love the ring too. I'm weird in as much as I feel like, um, (laughs) nightmare on Elm street. Those movies did what they had to do at the time, you know, early 80s horror mm-hmm. teens etc great stuff but i really think the series peaked at new nightmare like i love that movie mm, yeah Unapologetic. No, people people do love that one for sure i know it's divisive though i know a lot of people have problems with it but i just love the fact that it's just like okay we're acknowledging that these were movies and now we're kind of bringing it into the real world and you're left to wonder you know, during the film, is it real? Was it inspired by something mm-hmm. that really happened? It, did he somehow summon this creature into the real world by, you know, featuring it so heavily? That's the type of shit I love. I wish more horror franchises did that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. There was a, I, what is that nightmare? There's a, there's a documentary on Nightmare on Elm Street. Hmm. Have you seen that? I don't think so. So there is a documentary that literally it came out in 2010. It's called Never Sleep Again. I found it. Okay. Hmm. Okay. It came out in 2010. This movie is like five hours long. Like wow. it goes through each film. It go- <laughs> it's the entire franchise. You Apparently really it's on Tubi for free. Okay. By the way. And I'm sure you can find it on YouTube as well. And you can watch it like like a TV show. You can watch it in sections. You can stop at certain movies or whatever. That's what I did when I originally watched it. It okay. is fucking fascinating. Like, it's so good. It's such a fun deep dive. You can throw it on in the background while you're working or something, too. I actually mm-hmm. kind of want to watch it again. Um, it's just... It goes through each movie. And it really talks about it. one of the most fascinating things about it. And it leads into, like, the... It covers everything except for the remake because around this time, I think, is when they were making the remake, which I gotcha. still have never seen. Me neither. Um, but like the second movie is like I never even like picked up on any of this shit because I was a kid when I saw it. That movie is so gay, like, hmm. like literally, like incredibly homoerotic. Like on purpose or just kind of by yeah. Accident? Yeah, I, I I mean, well, and that's kind of what it's exploring in it. But like, yeah, there was some of it that was on purpose. And there was some of it that was like, oh, I didn't really think of that. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's fascinating. I highly, highly recommend it. I'm actually going to save this so that I can add it to our Discord. Freddy's Revenge. Because it is on YouTube for free. So. I feel like they made an NES game based on that movie. And given that context, that's pretty interesting that they would do something like that. Yeah, it is. It is incredibly fascinating. And it was, it, I think it just went on a DVD box set or something like that. It was, it was never released in theaters or anything. It was too long. It's too niche. Yeah. But I it's can a really comprehensive documentary. And I'm really glad that they made it um, before Wes Craven passed away too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, I always forget there was an, <laughs> There was a Nightmare on Elm Street TV show, an anthology yeah. series. Oh, God. What was that called? It was a Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Nightmares. 
Freddy's Nightmares, yeah. That's, yeah, so that's each a good idea was though. Like introduced that works. by Freddy. <laughs> yeah, because it's just like Tales from the Crypt, basically. Yeah. As I, yeah. I could see him going, yeah, fucking Crypt Keepers got all these stories. I got some too. Pull up a chair. Kids. If <laughs> if you were to make that now for like one of these scre- uh, screaming services, streaming services. Uh-huh. Um, haha. <laughs> I think, I think that could be really successful. I think because he is a villain that you can't really defeat because he's in dreams. You could keep that going forever. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Um, I understand why Robert England wanted to step down from playing that character. I mean, he'd been doing it his whole career basically you know yeah by the time he stepped down it was like 30 years right yeah that's a long time to be wearing plastic makeup and shit um so who took over the role for him in the remake because i thought that guy it was the same dude that played uh rorschach from um uh watchmen let me look it up nightmare on elm I don't think that movie did well at all. I don't think it did either. You know, these remakes, these horror movie remakes, you know, especially if you have Jackie a Earl Haley. Yeah. If you have a character as iconic and as, 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 you know, closely associated with one actor, mm-hmm. it's always hard. I mean, you know, they've been through like dozens of guys playing Jason and Leatherface, but mm-hmm. yeah, Robert Englund is Freddy Krueger. You can't get anybody else to do that. Yeah. Because there was a, there was a, a trend there where and this and oh fuck i forgot about this <laughs> this was actually one of the many remakes of that era that was like produced by michael bay oh god so no. his his company was responsible for a lot of these now his i thought the, the texas chainsaw massacre remake was pretty good Granted, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I was a kid when I saw it, so it was scary (laughs) as fuck. And the worst part about that movie is that there's a documentary on Ed Gein on the DVD. And I learned about Ed Gein and I saw crime scene photos in that documentary. I was a child. (laughs) Like, it was was a baby. (laughs) It was fucked up. But yeah, Yeah. this. Platinum Dunes is the it's the production company that's Michael Bay and Brad Fuller. And so Platinum Dunes made they started with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. 2003. Then they did the Amityville Horror. Oh, that yeah. was another remake. Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning. <laughs> so they did a sequel. <laughs> then they did The Hitcher. The was Hitcher. that a Was that a remake? Yes, it was a remake. That's I yeah. think that's one of the movies that Sophia Bush does not claim that she ever did, but she did that movie. <laughs> the Unborn, which is not a sequel or a remake. Oh, fascinating. Friday the 13th remake. <laughs> Something called Horseman with Dennis Quaid. How have I never heard of this? I don't know. Either way. So wait a minute. The the Michael yep. Bay reboot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. In 2003 was the second version of, well, it was the second uh, start of the lore. But then they went back and remade it again in 2022 without any type of Bay involvement whatsoever. No, that was a different production company, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is intriguing. 
And now a video game just came out for um, the franchise as well. Yeah. But I will say, as much as this company has made a lot of questionable movies, <laughs> and they also gave us The Purge, so you're welcome, okay. I guess. Um, Varying returns they, on those. They produced A Quiet Place. So they okay. have they have made one good one. I'll give them that, but they're no Blumhouse, okay? I, I'll give them that. I will definitely give no, them that. No, this is... This is a very long list of bad movies. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, we're not at like, you know, Atlantic Rim level bad, but it's still pretty bad. Uh, yeah. What the <laughs> fuck is Atlantic Rim? Did he ever answer that? Anyway, Discord talk. <laughs> Atlantic Rim. I'll give I'll give you this. Atlantic Rim. Is it is a porno? A, it's a mockbuster. It's one of those movies that uh, Dave Martin and I covered uh, <laughs> on Digital Dumpster Diving. Where we took oh, a movie yeah. in the middle of the road, so it's it's definitely yep. a knockoff of Pacific Rim, and it's definitely not worth your time. But mm-hmm. the fact that it exists just makes me so happy that they took the time to make a ripoff <laughs> of Pacific Rim. Oh God! <laughs> I'm exploring Blumhouse picture films now because obviously the Wikipedia led me to this. Yes. We're going down a Wikipedia deep dive. Let's do it. 2010, the first Blumhouse movie of the 2010s. Okay. Now, obviously, their big their big breakthrough was Paranormal Activity, right? Absolutely, yes. But <laughs> but post the break the breakout of Paranormal Activity, which, by the way, I'm very curious if Paranormal Activity films have aged well. I will say I saw the first one and I was like, I don't really get why this is such a big deal. But then the second one was fucking fantastic and it made the first one better. It's one yeah, of the few times. Really weird. One of the few times that I thought the sequel was better than the first one and it built upon the lore in such a fantastic way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So when did that come out? That was 2009. Yes. The first one came out. But before that, they didn't really have anything that really hit too well. Nothing's really no. jumping out at me either. It looks like they no. they tried to do some films that were a little serious. They tried to do some comedies. I don't think they knew what they wanted to do. Yeah. I think they were just a production company funding smaller films by artists that they liked. Uh-huh. And Paranormal Activity is one of those, that, which is the type of movie you want to fund. It's It's very good. For sure. Um, and then in 2010, they went, let's make Tooth Fairy. <laughs> Wait, is it, is it Tooth Fairy or is it The Tooth It's Tooth Fairy starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It's Tooth awesome. Fairy starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, produced because by there, Jason Blum. There have been a plethora of Tooth Fairy-themed horror movies, as you know. Yes. You know, but no, this is the this is the one with The Rock. No, and then, it, and then they were like, Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! We're trapped! We're trapped! So then, <laughs> so then they do Paranormal Activity two, followed by Insidious, Paranormal Activity three. Okay, they, they do a couple little... of other small films, but then they get into 2012. They get they make Sinister. Oh my god! Have you seen Sinister? I don't think I've seen Sinister. Okay, well, Matthew, Sinister needs to go on your list for Halloween because Kayla wow. introduced me to this movie, and it's fucking fantastic. Okay, it's now really, I'm gonna, really good. I'm going to ask D about this. But, Did you uh, see the black phone? And, oh, yes, absolutely. Love that. That was really Okay, good. same writer-director. 
oh. like the same writer and then the same director. They work together. They mm-hmm. like working together. And that this was a movie they did before that. So this is what I like about the horror genre, right? Because mm-hmm. you can go down a rabbit hole and you can find all these different things to check out, things you may or may not enjoy. Um, but mostly you'll find things that you'll find some value in, right? So I like yeah. this. I like the black phone. I want to see more by this creator. It reminds me of kind of how you get somebody in the comic books. You know, you give some suggestions of some, yeah. some general books and it's like, oh, did you like this one? Did you like this one? Well, here's another one written by this guy or here's one that's you know, yeah. kind of the same vibe as this. Uh, and I mean, that's kind of how people got into and, comics, you know, with uh, Invincible and Walking Dead and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And like, Ethan Hawke is also in Sinister. Ah, so gotcha. that's okay. a really, yeah. Ethan Hawke, man, he was yeah. on the, oh God, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. No, I'm, I'm going to keep that to myself for a couple of weeks, but it will come back again. Okay. Um, one of my favorite shows is wrapping up, but uh, he was he was on there. I'll, I'll leave that Easter egg here, and then we'll revisit it in a couple of weeks once people forget. Yes. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> um, oh, that's a movie I haven't seen. There's some like other there's some other Blumhouse movies in here that I'm like, oh, I should watch that because it has like <laughs> it has like you know people that I like and everything in it. 2012's um, The Baby Maker, an American comedy starring <laughs> Paul Schneider and Olivia Munn. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. That one. That one directed by the Broken Lizard guys. Man, There's The a- Invisible Man. Yeah. The 2020, which I feel like was kind of lost because then the um, you know, the fucking pandemic started like the month that, after. That, that movie, movie was good. It had no business being as good as it was. And I know we <laughs> talked about it on so here before. Good. Trust me, if you're looking for something for spooky season, or just, you know what, a Friday night. Fuck, mm-hmm. fuck a spooky season movie. That movie is good. It's not just like, yes. oh, it's good for a horror flick. It's good. No, like, it's just a it's good, good movie. But yes. it's a perfect, a perfect example of how you should make a remake or a new iteration of a story that's been told maybe a dozen times, which is... Yeah make it modern and and socially like a part of our times and also just tell a good human story. Right. And that will make it good. No matter what you're trying to do, but like in this case it made it horrifying. Like every woman can watch that movie and see bits of like oh oh my god. Like this is the scariest thing ever but it feels so real. So let's let's talk about um <laughs> the 2017 on the same topic let's talk about the 2017 uh blumhouse productions film happy death day happy death day i never saw it and you know why no because it was repeating things over and over again wasn't it yeah it falls into your uh your groundhog day it was a groundhog day Uh, i saw the trailer for it and i went absolutely not sorry Okay. okay yeah it is groundhog day meets scream as it's described so yeah, yeah and people love that movie and they've made sequels to it. I don't know how many sequels, but they made one, they made one sequel and that sequel completely broke the lore altogether. Mm, that sucks. I think that if you, if you were forced to watch both of those films, I think that you would appreciate the sequel more because it does a good job of shitting on the first one so well. Okay. 
yeah. that you would be like, you know what? Yeah, that's right. Fuck that movie. And, and, and fuck these people. So thank you, sequel, for doing that. But Did the reason Bill? I bring it up. Oh, go ahead. Yes. The go. reason I bring it up, it's, it's written by Scott Lobdell. And it's funny because Scott Lobdell oh. is someone who comic fans are probably familiar with. Mm-hmm. He was one of the primary writers of the X-Men books in the 90s. He Oh, yeah. He's legendary. That, yeah. He was behind Generation X, that team mm-hmm. that had Jubilee and all kind of other characters on there. Yeah, Scott Lobdell, he's a big name in the X-Men books. So he decided to write Happy Death Day, uh, two varying returns there. So it, interesting. I mean, it worked out for him. It did. He got a sequel out of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've always wanted to see, and I didn't realize that they produced this, the movie Creep. I see that they produced at least Creep 2. That's oh. like a super indie movie made by the Duplass brothers. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, God. Do you remember the movie Split? Uh, no. The M. Night Shyamalan? Oh, God, yes. Okay. You, you refreshed my memory. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that movie looked creepy and was people were like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Oh, it's M. Night Shyamalan. And then you go into it and you're like, holy fuck. This movie is a se- like a prequel or sequel or whatever to Unbreakable. That was, right. that was wild. Sorry, I spoiled I, it for you. If you- <laughs> no, you, you're better off knowing that going in. And then just immediately forgetting it after the movie is done. On its own, Split is a good movie, uh, I would say. I enjoyed yeah. Split. Yeah. You know what sucks? What's that? Is that he made two-thirds of a great trilogy. He did. Unbreakable is one of my if favorites. Ever, <laughs> <laughs> if ever there was an M. Night Shyamalan thing, it's that he couldn't stick the landing. I feel like Samuel L. Jackson deserves better. And I think he he needs to understand that he deserves better. I'm sure he's a man that commands respect, you know, person to person. I'm sure that people value his time. But I need him to sometimes say no to projects. Because he's been involved in some <laughs> real thinkers where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm riding with it because my, my man Sam Jackson's in it. But outside of that, I, there's no value in this at all. You know, <laughs> I think that he wants a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I but respect that. I respect that too. I feel like he's got enough money at this point to be like, look, I, I owe my fans better than what you're putting out here, man. Let's, let's, let's give that another pass. Let's just, you know, that's <laughs> take so <another> fair. <laughs> that's so unbelievably fair, but you know, man. Yeah. It's weird because they're children talking, right? So I hear children on my headphones right now. And I don't know if it's coming from my end or your end. Uh, shouldn't be from my end. <laughs> it shouldn't be from my end either. Caitlin's watching, <laughs> watching um, Catfish in the other room. So God, I hope there's not children involved with that. Although, let's be honest, it would be really funny to be catfished by a child. It would be very funny. But speaking of horror-themed projects, <laughs> apparently, now that the writer's strike is over, they're talking about rebooting The Office. Um, Possibly. Controversial statement. I think that's fine. Why? I, that, 
It makes I didn't mean sense. to come so hard. I'm sorry. I was like, why? No, it, I understand that everyone is like, why would you do that? Uh-huh. It makes sense because it's just a generic concept. It is. What, so why makes, don't it, just- what makes it good is uh-huh. the character development and the writing and the and the proper cast. So to me, I'm like, as long as they don't make it with the same characters or versions of the same characters, it will be fine. So this 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 kind of comes up every so often in our conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think it's another example of why these studios need to understand the difference between a reboot, a revival, and a remake. Oh, agreed. Continue. A reboot, you're taking the basic premise of it and you're kind of just putting it in motion and letting it go where it goes. So the the US office in and of itself was a reboot that started out like a remake. Because in that first season, they used the same scripts as the UK version, which of course was going to run out eventually because back then- I thought that was just the pilot was a a remake. And then everything from there was different. There were were some episodes in the first season that pulled directly from the UK scripts. Gotcha. uh, Outside of just the pilot. But that was that was the problem. The UK UK shows usually have six or seven episodes in a series, whereas at that point, US shows were still doing twenty-two episode seasons. So mm-hmm. they had to pad it out. <clears throat> the first season yeah. we off was only a few episodes, but the second season they got the full pickup, they got the twenty-two. Anyway, that's a reboot, what they did right there. A remake is basically when you're taking the same story elements play by play with different actors, maybe different directors, maybe a little bit of a different twist on it, but it's the same basic story elements. I can't think of a good example of a remake right now, but I'm sure we can if we're given time. And then the revival is when you take the same story and characters from the original version Mm -hmm. and you just pick up where you left off. A good example of this is the upcoming Frasier revival. Yeah. So so they could easily do that do that. And it might be the best course of action to mm-hmm. do that with Dunder Mifflin. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know if I don't think Rain Wilson would ever want to come back. So maybe they have like his character be like retired now or whatever, and then like they have a new boss. But then like I feel like they could get they could get back fucking Stanley. And, you know, and, and like have a couple of those characters that are like, they're going to be there until they're done. Basically. Yeah. And have you know, them be the gap, like bridge the gap. Right. You know, um, they could finally have found a second source of income outside of just paper to mm-hmm. make them more, uh, you know, valuable in the modern world. Yeah. And they could have regained the prominence they had as Dunder Mifflin. Early on in the series, and you can have characters like uh, you know the the intern and Jesus Christ, all these kids. <laughs> it's so strange. Okay, you can have characters like Phyllis and and Kevin even like mm-hmm. have, go off and work for other branches or become management or something mm-hmm. like that for their own uh, you know respective branches, and then guest star on the show every now and then. Hell, even Michael, you know, wherever he ended up with Holly, you can mm-hmm. have him run a branch where he is. But they're not going to do that. They're going to try to remake it. And it's going to be watered down 
I don't know. So they are. So it is like a remake, as in they're going to have like same characters and. Well, according to the article in the on on okay. Vulture.com, uh, they say Greg Daniels, the creator of the U.S. version of The Office, is currently set to do a reboot. Uh, little is known beyond the fact of its existence, so best believe we have questions. And it seems like they're asking all the questions that we have right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I have no expectations. There's a chance I won't even watch it. But, you know, yeah, whatever. Something like that, I would definitely know. let Skinner for a little while before even trying to invest some time in it. I'd probably check out the well, first episode. Uh, whether know, it's if it's okay, I'll like let a season stack up and then check in on it later. You know, I felt like that. Um, How I Met Your Father, which oh. was kind of a kind of a revival sequel because the other the you know the previous stuff all still happened, and they sometimes interacted with you know I know that um, Robin and Barney both showed up on that show within yeah. the first two seasons, so. <sighs> Like that show I thought was really good and it kind of fixed some of the things that were not good about or that have aged poorly about the original. Um, It's not the original. You're never going like that. That show was just like anything that's successful. Why is it successful? It's lightning in a bottle. I don't know. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought it did a good job, but like it got canceled two seasons, you know? So it's hard to even get into shows that you think are doing a good job with something that's kind of difficult to tackle. Okay. Yeah. It's on my end. There's some kids in the courtyard, like fighting with swords and shit. (laughs) Real swords. (laughs) I hope Uh, (laughs) this problem is going to be solved very quickly. Chicago, everybody. (laughs) Oh my Uh, God. That's funny. No, it is kind of it. Okay, all right. The the the, the anti curmudgeonly part of me says that it's great to hear kids outside having a good time at eight p.m. at night on a Friday without worrying about anything on a Friday. That's that's yeah. a good vibe. I like that. That's good. Good for them. Not good for podcast recording, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. It adds it adds flavor to the show. Yeah. <laughs> So you're you're kind of meh-ish on the office, yeah. and I'm kind of like on the on the low end of meh. I'm like, yeah, meh. Well, and by that I I will say like I mean the this reboot or prequel or what it's prequel or sequel whatever they're gonna do. Yeah, I I'm whatever about it. I'm if it's if it turns out to be good, cool. If it doesn't, I don't care. You know. Yeah. But it, I also very much believe in taking that road of, and we've talked about this type of theme before, but like, they can't take away what I already have. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I love the original show and you can't take it away from me. I took it and ran. Goodbye. Except still for those. physical copy. We need our physical copies, guys, because they are taking yeah. it away from that. They are. Yeah. <laughs> They um they just wrapped up a mini series um in the Adventure Time universe that mm-hmm. only aired on Max, and I'm concerned that we'll never see a physical release of yeah. it because it's a cartoon. It's a very at this point niche cartoon. Um, I feel like they're going to chalk it up to a loss and then they're going to scrub it from the platform, and that makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm. 
I mean, I have that concern about a lot of things too. Like one of my, you know, we were revisiting, uh, we revisited Hill House and Midnight Mass. Yeah. And, you know, both of the Hill House seasons are released on like a Blu-ray. So like they do have physical copies of that. There's actually like a two pack type of situation you can get, but like there's no physical copy of midnight mass. And I'm like, Hmm. um, but that's like one of my favorite shows. What the fuck am I supposed to do? I really like, I want to own that. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of, uh, unfortunately it ties into another story that just came out today. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been discussed for the past several weeks now, but, um, it's official. Disney plus is cracking down on password sharing. Yeah. Um, Bold of you to assume I even have Disney plus. Fuck you. Disney plus. Jesus. (laughs) And just like uh, just like Netflix did, they're testing it out in another country before mm-hmm. bringing it here. So Canada, unfortunately, November first is when this goes into effect. They will only allow people on the plan to use the access in the same household, mm-hmm. like physically the same household. I don't know how that's going to be addressed with like the mobile app and stuff like that. It makes no sense to me. But I'm sure they have some way of making sure you're not, oh, it's unfortunately I, taking $10 from Disney. Oh, I no. saw someone I saw someone go, what about children of divorce? And I was like, what about them? Ooh, yeah. That's, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. You're just making their lives even harder. So you have my permission, and this yeah. will not hold up in a court of law. But since hmm. Disney Plus is being a butt, you have my permission to steal exactly $120 plus tax of merchandise from any Disney park in the country to make yeah. up for the subscription fee that you're now going to have to pay to see the upcoming seasons of Mandalorian and any other project you want to watch. Yeah. My brother keeps telling me about like the star Wars shows and stuff. And I'm like, Chris, I do not have Disney plus <laughs> Chris. I don't <laughs> Chris. I don't um, give me your login. I don't. And now I can't even do that. So, you know, <laughs> I didn't actually ask him for the login because yeah. I don't care, but yeah but yeah it's coming so be ready for that hunker down get your pirate hats out of the closet do what you got to do there's no shame in ethical (laughs) yeah yeah it's funny because i keep seeing simpsons clips on my tiktok and i was Mm -hmm. like oh the simpsons that's a fun background show or whatever and i'm like oh never mind disney can't watch it unless you got disney plus yep that's right um. Yeah, yeah. So that's happening. As I mentioned before, the WGA strike is over. Yep. This happened between episodes. Um, the SGA after negotiations will continue on Monday. It seems like I. I'm sorry, not SGA SAG SAG after. Yeah. Um. It seems like those involved in the WGA aspect of the strike are incredibly pleased with the deal that they worked out, but yeah. still immensely frustrated that it took over 140 days for them to give them the basic of agreements. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it, it's ridiculous that it took that long, but at least they won. Yeah. I'm glad that finally worked out. And now they just need to take care of the actors. Which, yeah. the fact that they're willing to work with the writers now, and now we've got people going back into the writers' room, they're, I think that the actors will follow suit pretty quickly. 
So I did read today that, yes, the writing rooms are reconvening mm-hmm. uh, this week, if not next Monday. Uh, the writers' rooms for Abbott Elementary and Yellow Jackets have already yes. recommenced. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, the late night shows will be back on the air next Monday. I saw an ad for Jimmy Kimmel today. Who he's going to talk to? I have no right, idea. That's the thing. They can't, <laughs> they can't talk to anyone. I mean, but so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of vamping. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of discussion about uh, what's going on in politics because, you know, they've been chopping at the bit to get back out there. Stephen mm-hmm. Colbert and uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure they've been just ready and waiting to take a crack at what's going on lately, especially with the Lauren Boebert stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, it's so funny too, because people were like, Oh, Drew Barrymore should just waited two weeks or whatever. And like, I think that the reason the strike, the writer strike ended was because of the Drew Barrymore stuff. Like that was one of the really? reasons you think that because no. <laughs> they saw the backlash that Drew yes. Barrymore got. They were like, Oh yes. shit. Even Drew's getting shit. People- oh no. <laughs> yes, because someone crossed a picket line and they basically fucked them up so much. And it was the most like wholesome person mm-hmm. and it fucked them up so much that it made them retreat. And I think that scared the studios because Ooh. that really made them go, oh, they're holding the line. Oh, they're really holding the line and the people are behind them. And that didn't click before. I mean, I'm sure it was clicking as they're losing money every single day. Right. Um, Because, you know, it's, but it is because this union was so strong and held her accountable. But like, because that line was crossed, it showed this is what happens when you cross the line. Yep. I think that, I think that was a very valuable lesson. It really bothered me that, in all of this, it was revealed that the, the the heads of studio hadn't even sat down with the WGA until mm-hmm. after that point. The right. Bob Iger and the, and the Zaslav hadn't sat down with the uh, the negotiations. It's the, like they didn't even they take it seriously. Exactly. They're just like, oh, yeah, you'll figure it out. Or, you know, we saw reports coming out stating that they were just waiting on people to run out of money. Right. Uh, and just agree to whatever. Like, holy shit, man. Yeah, and I think that moment of them seeing like, oh, an America's sweetheart can't even get them to to cave. Uh huh. I think that fucks. I think that fucks with people. (laughs) Yeah, you're right about that. So, and and the public really shamed Drew Barrymore too. People who aren't even union. Yeah, they saw the public tide shifting. You know, changing. I think that's that's like something you can't really discard either. Like that's like that's a really valuable thing to have the public on your side. Now your original statement uh, when you reacted to this made it seem like Drew Barrymore was the hero here. Like, oh, oh no, 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 that's not what she I meant. Everybody, she got Hell all no. that no, 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 no. Drew Barrymore's mistake proved to be an important <laughs> lesson. Like, let's and hear people were <laughs> and people were making jokes. They're like, "She's so stupid. She did this." And I'm like, "Yeah, but like <laughs> because she made a mistake and then properly retracted and learned a lesson." Yeah, in the public yeah. eye, that's and like to valuable fair, too. I'm sure there was no shortage of people that reached out to her and just said, "Hey, look, you know, this is what we have to say. This is what we're going with," but. You know, please don't feel like, you know, you're a, you're a horrible person. You made a mistake, all that shit. I'm sure people reached out to her independently and privately 
and and express those sentiments to her. I, I saw a lot of writers saying like she did a good job of retracting finally, like like mm-hmm. and you know actually listening. So I, I'm I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that, and you know, it, it's funny because it is a true, a classic Drew Barrymore fashion that she just had to learn a hard lesson in the public eye. Yeah. And that she becomes yeah. an example for others by learning that lesson in the public eye. Oh, you're right. That's totally a Drew Barrymore staple. Absolutely. It is. That's part of her. That's also one of the reasons why we love her, right? Because she's not perfect because she fucks up. But at the end of the day, I do think she is a genuinely good person who tries to learn from those mistakes. Yes. Lessons like don't do drugs and don't show your boobs to David Letterman on television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, or do. I'm not your boss. I don't know. Yeah. You do you, girl. Yeah. Except don't cross that picket line. Don't do that. <laughs> don't you cross that line. Don't cross that line. Man. Yeah. So that's what's going on there. You know, congratulations to the people that held through and held out. Um, you know, big thanks to those who supported them. And I mean, you know, what's great about this, what came out of it is it was, it was endlessly reported on throughout the media. Um, and it inspired a lot of people again, with the inspiration It inspired a lot of other parties to unionize and really get what they deserve, you know, it was happening with, uh, and I'm not saying it's strictly because of the writer's strike, but you can't deny that the theme of the summer has been unionize you know unionization and all that just getting getting on the same page and getting what you deserve because you know things aren't getting cheaper things aren't getting more affordable out here i mean and the companies are upset about that and i'm like well if you just treated people decently and weren't so fucking greedy then that wouldn't happen exactly in a perfect world you don't need unions but here we are yeah Yeah. I see they're even trying to get some like young entrepreneurs out there to go on television and say things like, oh, yeah, you know, we don't need child labor laws anymore. We want to get out there and and do our fair share. That's a really weird fucking thing that I've noticed. And it's It's scary. They've they've been groomed. This is grooming. That is grooming right there. They've been groomed to believe that they don't deserve to be kids. That's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's the the um the rolling back of those laws. Like yeah. chi- basically child labor laws is because they quote unquote can't get anyone to work. No, they're just too young to know the difference. You know, if you give a kid a 15-year-old kid I mean, how much an hour? Let's say $10 an hour. They've never had a job. That's so much money. You know? So they don't they don't know what they're worth. They don't know they're worth. Yet. No. You're going to give an you're going to give a kid $80 a day to go work? Like that's going to be a lot to them. And they don't have to mow any lawns? Exactly. No. That's that's going to be the most money they've ever seen and it's going to be great. I remember how I felt when I got my first paycheck oh, yeah. and looking back at that amount now, it's like, fuck, they got, they got me. They got- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they really got me there. <laughs> yeah, for like, sure. You know, looking back now, man. Oof. <laughs> yeah. They got a deal. They just tossed me a nickel and said, come back tomorrow, kid. 
And you were like, oh boy, I will. <laughs> then I bit it and I put it in my pocket. <laughs> 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 oh man. So um, one beloved actor from our childhood has passed away. And is another- it Vagoda? <laughs> Got to go to the website and make sure he's okay. He's dead. He is not. He no, is, yeah. he is gone. He's dead. He rest in peace. Um, <laughs> Sir Michael Gambon, the actor known for his role as Dumbledore in the um, last six Harry Potter films, has passed away. The other, age. the other Dumbledore died. He was the other Dumbledore. <laughs> did that? Did that throw you off when you were watching the original Harry Potter? When yeah. They, uh, yeah. They they changed out Dumbledore. Yeah, I wasn't a Harry Potter kid. I grew to okay. like them more as an adult after I read the books. I read the books as an adult. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, the obligatory fuck JK Rowling, by the way. Continue. Yeah, of course. The like it, that is implied, but I'm glad yes. you actually said it out loud too. Yeah, so I read those uh at, you know, 22 or something like that. And I was like, "Oh shit, these are actually really good." And I I got yeah. into it. I got like really into it. And then I and then I watched the movies and I was like, "These are okay." You know? Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, "These are pretty good." But yeah, it was weird. But, you know. Yeah, I agree, but it wasn't as like, you know, earth-shattering for me as it was for some people. I know some people were like, "Oh my god, they could never." It's it like, wasn't well, a Disney's Doug situation, but Oh god, not weird sounding Doug. No, 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 no. That was some weird shit. Um, yeah, but this this uh actor has passed away 82. That's a long life, you know. Yeah. I'm sure it must be hard for his family and friends, but you know, he he left so much of a legacy behind and uh, you know, I mean, his his presence will be felt for generations. For sure. Yeah, those, I mean, until they remake them. Until they remake them. Now, <laughs> there's a new Dumbledore. They could absolutely remake the Harry Potter films. I, I don't I think, have any I think they're going to make them a mini, or not a mini series, like a TV series. I think that's okay. the, the next plan. So it's a, it's a remake, but it's going to be like a TV series. I mean, there are a lot of things they did with those first films that they could definitely do better, especially, you know, in anime, there's a longstanding tradition of trying to, you know, keep step with the manga that's coming out along with it. Mm-hmm. And the Harry Potter films did a good job of keeping up with the book series and kind of like concurrently going back and forth there. Yeah. So, I think the hard part is casting again, because that... Unlike a lot of other like young adult things that were cast where it's like, oh, okay, like that was good casting. But I think that was a really great cast of kids. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And they were they were great actors and they did a really good job. And so I think that particularly um Emma Watson as Hermione, that's that's gonna be hard to recast. But that said, it it really has been enough time. Like, I know it hasn't been that much time since the, you know, the last sequel or the, the last film of the franchise. But the first one came out, what, 2001? Yeah. Ages ago. Right. Just cast it's... Elijah Wood. Let Elijah Wood play <laughs> Harry Potter. But it's been, it's been so, it really has been a long time. It doesn't feel yeah. that way to us because, you know... We remember it and everything, but there are, there are whole grown ass kids 
who were born after that first movie came out. Right. Man. Yeah. That cast, that cast was good. They, they did a really good job with that cast, especially Alan Rickman, man. May he rest in peace as well. Yeah, Probably that actually him. might be the hardest one to recast. Yeah, a lot of people have passed. And um, McGonnell. Yeah, but there's so many, so many people were in these movies. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, some, of course, you know, they, they, they passed and they were a little bit older. But then some people were gone much too soon. Everybody was gone much too soon. But you think of Alan Rickman, like I mentioned, you think of Robbie Coltrane, who played Hagrid. You know, he's he's gone, too. Didn't he just die like last year? Yeah, because they they uh, they put something special for him uh, at at the base of his character on the uh, the Harry Potter ride or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's at Universal. Yeah, they put like some flowers next to his feet or something. I thought that was very touching. Yeah, you know, all things considered, I mean, it's still a theme park ride, but all things considered, I thought that was a nice tribute that they yeah. did for him. Yeah, yeah. We're not ending the show there because, you know, we made that mistake last time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Toys R Us is coming back. Toys R Us is planning a brick and mortar comeback in the U.S. I saw this on the news today, right when I was scouring, looking for notes before, you know, we started to record. They're setting up 24 new flagship stores. And you know where the first one's going to be, Lex? It's going to be. In the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. Oh, shit. Is it really? Yeah, it is. That's right. In Terminal A, the world's second busiest airport. Oh. Set I don't want to ask to the airport. That's kind of weird. Airport? Airport? I'm not going to the airport. Okay. I'm not going to the airport. Uh, <laughs> the first store shall be there. It shall open in November just in time for those holidays. Now, you're right. It seems like this is going to be a um, last resort stop for single dads who are going to visit their kids and forgot to get their kid a present. So shout out to those guys. We know you're trying hard, but Toys R Us in the airport ain't it. Toys R Us in the airport ain't it, partner. Get you you a bike. First of all, can you buy a bike from this Toys R Us? Will they assemble it on site for you? Can you ride that bike through the airport? <laughs> Riding a bike through an airport sounds stressful, but fun. An empty airport? Holy mm-hmm. shit. That would be so much fun. If I were a filthy rich man, mm-hmm. I would make that shit happen. I would inconvenience so many people, but I would have the funnest day just riding a bike through an airport terminal. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. But this doctor has to get to this very important heart transplant. I'm sorry. I've, I've got to do some the, tricks. Hand off the heart to me. I'll get it to the gate. <laughs> Give it a rock. <laughs> Let's go. Put it in my backpack. I'm ready. Turn on the less than Jake. I'm about to do some tricks yeah. off of these rails. Let's go. Spell yeah. out skate. Spill out skate. Yeah. That was funny. You said the skate thing. Somebody asked today, I saw a discussion going on. Like, how come people never believe it's Tony Hawk when they see Tony Hawk? And I'm like, well, because to most people of a certain age, Tony Hawk is basically a fictional character in the video game. Right. He doesn't really exist as a skateboarder, a professional skateboarder. He's, He's a character. He's like Mickey Mouse. 
he just looks like a guy too. Yeah. You know, he looks like a guy. He doesn't he have like a particularly distinguishing feature about him or anything. You know, that's true. I like true. to think that I would recognize him upon I like seeing to think him, that too. but I also could see myself going, is that Tony Hawk or is that just Dave? You know, I wonder if there's ever someone who is just like sincerely anticipating getting on an airplane in California somewhere and just hoping beyond hope that they have an encounter with Tony Hawk. Oh, I'm so sure. So they can finally buck the trend. They're looking for skateboards, looking for somebody with just, you know, a skinny profile, like, oh my God, is it Tony Hawk? And it's totally not him. And some poor guy's getting harassed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I was going to talk about how Chevy Chase is a curmudgeon, but that's not news. Everybody knows that. Yeah, it's not news. Um, I saw that Mark Barron had him on the podcast, and I was like, nah, not today. He's doing a live show in Chicago uh, to celebrate like some National Lampoon Christmas anniversary. And okay. I'm like, why? Why, man? Those movies those exist. You can watch those movies. John Hughes. They're John Hughes movies, technically. So I guess because they're John Hughes, it's going to be Chicago. Yeah, I guess so. Chicago theater, if you care about that sort of thing. I hear tickets are cheap. So if you feel like dealing with Chevy Chase and friends, whatever that means, uh, go check them out. (laughs) Chevy (laughs) Chase doesn't have friends. (laughs) The friends was in quotes. Okay. I don't know. Um, Yeah. But yeah. Chevy Chase and the cast of Friends. They don't like him either. No, but him and Matthew Perry probably would get along. Oh, yeah, because they're both assholes. But at least Matthew Perry is competent enough to realize he's an asshole at this point in his life. Chevy's not. Yeah, he is. He is. Or is he one of those guys that, quote unquote, realizes he's an asshole? Ah, the Dan Harmon of it all. I see. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those guys are scarier, in my opinion. The guys who try to market themselves as an asshole, kind of like a wife guy. The sort guys of thing. who go, God, I'm such an asshole. I'm sorry. Such an asshole. Yeah. And then they keep being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Hey, what are you doing to fix that? Just admitting it. That's that's enough, isn't it? Mm. Admitting yeah. it is the first step. Wait. No, I'm not going to do the other steps, though. You just don't go you past past. <laughs> you don't go past yeah. the first step. That's it. <laughs> Watch my show. I did that asshole. part. That's enough. Yeah. At least Mark Marin puts in the work. You know, I didn't know his reputation when he was this asshole, but he talks about it so much and atones for it so often with people that I just kind of believe that narrative. I mean, he has no reason to lie about it. It's not like a successful brand or anything. But yeah, the way that he. It's it's funny because I never. He, I never would have thought Mark Marin was a good dude. I he doesn't give me like he's an abuser or anything like that vibes. But yeah. I feel like if I met him, I would hate him. Yeah, I like listening. And that and that said, I I I think he does. I think he's great at interviewing people. Like I think he's got some great great podcasting. But I don't. There's nothing about him that makes me think he's a good dude. Hmm. Yeah, even his own show here didn't make him. It didn't paint him in a positive light. No, I think he is someone who tries. Um, a lot of the times, but yeah, 
it's not quite enough. I mean, I admire that. I do admire it. It makes perfect sense, but I still admire that because if you're not trying, then you're not doing anything. And that's worse. That's much worse. Yeah. And I, and I firmly believe by now we probably would have heard something about him if he was like currently an asshole. Right. I think he's smart enough to have learned from that and he's sober now. So that helps. It's kind of serendipitous for him too, because the person who he claims he was the asshole to the most turned out to be an even bigger asshole. Which was who? Which was, um, what's his friend's name? Jesus Christ. Louis CK. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause their, their feud was like the news for a while. You know, especially because they both I actually don't them. really know about that. I don't know a lot. Apparently, I don't know a lot about the Mark Marin lore. Okay. So, when he first started doing his, you know, this version of his show and everything, mm-hmm. after the radio show, which he also talks about all the time, mm-hmm. kind of misses that, I guess. Uh, one of his biggest self-admitted regrets was that he burned the friendship bridge between him and Louie. Okay. And it was because he was so jealous of the success that Louis was achieving at the time. Okay. And so when Marin showed up on the FX show, Louis FX show, it was kind of a surprise to everybody because, you know, folks thought they were feuding and on the show, he was the big muckety muck and Louis was jealous of him. So at that point, I believe that's when they put like a, a joint podcast episode out or something. It was just a very long episode of them just kind of hashing things out and talking and kind of addressing conversations they'd had where they made up and stuff like that and things that went wrong and how they fixed it, that sort of thing. And they still weren't like back to normal, but progress had been made and everybody was happy because these two guys, you know, they worked it out. Everything's going well. But then the other shoe dropped and we found out what we did about Louis CK. And it turned out the guy that pissed off the asshole was a bigger asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that that's when you go, well, Mark Barron wasn't wrong, I guess. Right. <laughs> like if he just said, I got a feeling about this guy. I don't trust him. Yeah. Eventually he would have been right. Just That's like always an interesting thing about comedians. Like there was this one yeah. Australian comedian or something like that, that I saw that it was like publicly talking about Russell Brand and has been for years. And he's like the only one that has gone on the record about him. Oh yeah. 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 And I'm like, oh shit. Like, mm-hmm. good for him. You're right. I mean, it's a lot like Chris Rock. You know, there was a lot of stuff about him um, a decade ago about how he paid off this woman who, you know, was talking about how he cheated on his wife with her and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. got her pregnant. Chris Rock sent somebody after her, not like in a, yes, in a nefarious way, but not in a murderous way. Like right. someone to very aggressively convince her to drop what she was doing, trying to defame him or right. know, quote unquote, trying to defame him. Um, and it kind of went away, but now because he's in the news again, so often it's coming back up. Yeah. He can't pay, he can't pay enough money to make that story go away. And I'm, I'm glad that it's coming up. I'm glad that it's being discussed because, you know, it, after the slap incident, a lot was done to make him look like a saint, you know, in a lot of people's yeah. eyes, people are complicated, obviously. And he he's he's not a great dude. He's not a no. great person. That was wild. Anyway, that's where we're ending the show. Yeah.
This was Thanks a long listening. one. It was. We Thanks get for chatting sticking on a with Friday us. Night. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us, folks. As always, check out patreon.com slash likes and Matt if you'd like us to continue these shenanigans and you'd like to check out our Discord where we have lots of fun conversations and we talk about blockbuster movies such as Atlantic Rim. <laughs> you can join in the conversation every single day over at patreon.com slash Lex and Matt. Yes, please become a patron. Please do it. Also, share the show, subscribe, rate, all that jazz. Tell your friends. Steal their phone. Subscribe on their phone. Give us a rating on their phone. That's right. Do it. You know you want to. And on that note, I'm Matt Peters. (laughs) And I'm Lex Lutz. Be excellent to each other.